Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooper Writer, and this right here is a radio show uh, uh, that focuses specifically on issues happening right here in Kentucky. Important issues that regard politics going on right in your own backyard. There's a lot of shows out there where you can get those national headlines, but this one right here is where you're going to find out about things happening right here in Kentucky. And today, you know, for the last two, three days, I've been really focusing on covering uh, a lot about the course of governor's election, the election here that's less than a, a week out. But today, I wanted to take a little bit different of a tack. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about uh, the campaigns and what's going on with them. Maybe you're tired of hearing about it. And of course, over the next few days, I'll continue to cover them. But for today, I wanted to focus on some stories that depart from necessarily those elections going on. We're going to cover a few things. One, there's a, a few weeks ago in my show, I covered the Raceland Worthington Independent School District in Greenup, uh, Kentucky there, Greenup County. And I covered how they were going through a situation regarding a, a alleged uh, sexual grooming of children at their high school there. Well, we've got some more details on that. And we'll be diving into that. That'll be uh, the rest of this segment. And then the second segment will also continue on down that line. Then I want to go over, you know, tomorrow starts the first day of early voting. And I want to kind of talk about how early voting got passed and how really the the process of it and everything that goes into it shows a, a strong disrespect that our legislators have for our state constitution when it comes to just doing things they just want to do, they just feel like doing. And then finally, the Louisville Metro Police Department has been undergoing investigations by the Biden DOJ into their policing activities. It would appear a consent decree is looming. We'll go over what they found and what that consent decree might just mean for Louisville. I'll give you a hint. It's not very good at all. Before we dig into it, please just remember you can always reach out to the show by emailing me. You can reach the show by emailing info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. And send me those emails there. Send me your feedback. And who knows, you might even hear it read out on the air, your email, your comments on the stories. And uh, well, without further ado, let's dig into it. So as I said, a few weeks ago, I spoke about an ongoing situation in Greenup County regarding the Raceland Worthington Independent School District and uh, some child grooming going on there. However, more details have emerged and I wanted to follow up on this story. Now, if we're being honest, sexual misconduct in our public schools is unfortunately not news and unfortunately for sure not rare. Actually, the Department of Education says that roughly 10% or 4.5 million children, so 10% of our school kids, 4.5 million of them in our public schools have experienced some form of sexual misconduct by teachers onto them by the time they graduate high school for some, you know, 
to help you understand just how big of an issue that is. That is a more than 100 times greater by percentage incident rate than reports of sexual misconduct by priests in the Catholic Church. Yet the Catholic Church has gotten quite the reputation due to these sexual misconducts by priests. They've been the butt of many jokes. And of course, it's kind of a well-known idea that Catholic priests can sometimes prey on young boys. But yet, public schools have not gained the same reputation. And teachers don't get the same scrutiny, despite the fact that the problem is so much greater than it is in Catholic schools. The question is why? Well, the story regarding Raceland Worthington High School in Greenup sheds some, some real good light on why that just might be. And really, there's two stories here. This is why it's going to be covered over two parts. One story is of a girl being allegedly groomed, or several girls being allegedly groomed by high school social studies and law and justice teacher named Robbie Logan. The other story is going to be about how the school board and the superintendent has responded to the situation. Currently, it appears that Robbie has resigned from his coaching position with the school, but he's actually still employed as a teacher. So as I talk to you about what he's allegedly done, just remember that Robbie Logan is appears to be still employed by the school. Now, I'm saying allegedly because obviously this has not been, you know, fully investigated necessarily into everything being claimed. I'll go into KSP did some investigations. Perhaps they found some issues uh, going on there. There's some still ongoing investigations by KSP. So I'm going to say allegedly in most of the allegations, because, you know, you've got to be honest here. And these are allegations until proven otherwise. So these allegations are going to be coming from a public statement and document. A lot of what I'm talking about that was put out by Dwayne and Rebecca Porter. Uh, Dwayne and Rebecca are the parents of one of the girls that Robbie Logan allegedly had inappropriate contact with. They provided this statement uh, to the school board after they got shut down in a um, public comment opportunity. Uh, and so they, they handed this document out and handed it out to the public. And I was sent a copy of it. Now, for those of you unaware what kind of spurred this up, there were some screenshots circulated online of their daughter, Dwayne and Rebecca um, Porter's daughter, the Porter's daughters there. Uh, there's some screenshots of the conversations that the teacher here, Robbie Logan, was having with the daughter. And if the screenshots are doctored or fake, well that means something different. But if they are real, it appears they are. These are very troubling stories. And nobody has claimed that these screenshots are faked or doctored to my knowledge. I'm just saying, you know, people fake and doctor things, but it doesn't appear to be the case here. And what we see is very, very troubling. And so therefore, what the Porters have said about what's going on there at Raceland Worthington High School, kind of Northern Kentucky areas, that green up area. Well, um, then it isn't just necessarily hearsay, but they are providing evidence, documentation, and facts to go ahead and back this up. And that's part of what makes this so troubling. So keep in mind that the things we're talking about here are once again alleged and not fully verified within the court of law, but they do bear repeating. There, there seems to be enough concreteness to them that, um, you know, I feel comfortable talking about these allegations as allegations, uh, Regardless. So here's what the Porters have alleged happened with their daughter. The grooming and the building of the relationship started 
when their daughter was just 15. And Robbie Logan at the time was in his mid-30s. So what did they say he did well? They say that Robbie Logan made her his student assistant, made the daughter their student assistant, had her sit behind him. He would often touch her leg and foot, and he would treat her in a way that made her feel special and loved. So she, in turn, started to feel, of course, love for him. He would often challenge her with another female student, saying that the porter's daughter was just number two. And if she wanted to be that number one, she would have to, quoting here, step things up. And he wasn't talking about academics either. He apparently got her phone number. And while he was her teacher, he would text and talk with her on her phone and across social media, across Facebook Messenger. And the porter's daughter, in reporting this and talking about this, was asked to be interviewed about her problem by the school. And she had first accepted, but then it was discovered that another girl had already reported Robbie Logan for another incident and nothing came of that. And what did this other girl say Robbie Logan reportedly did to her? Well, very similar situation. The contact, the building of the relationship started in the school, the touching, the challenging, um, the outside contact uh, over, over social media and phone with a minor outside of school hours. Then the girl graduated high school. And at that point is when Robbie reportedly picked up the sexual aggression towards her and even had her come over to his house on multiple occasions. So here's this guy allegedly running this grooming operation, starting on girls while they're 15 years old, still in school, building up a few years of contact, interaction, rapport as a teacher. Then as soon as they graduate, when it's technically legal, attempts to engage in a more sexual relationship. And sometimes apparently he succeeded to a slight degree with that one girl. She's heading over to his house several times, it would appear. So we have these allegations. That's part of the story. But there's another big problem here, and that's how the school board and superintendent Larry Coldiron have responded. And to hear about that, uh, we're going to cover how the school board and him have responded after this short break here. Uh, stay with us. You're going to want to hear the rest of the story. It truly is awful just how uh, the school board has responded to this, how Coldiron has responded to this, um, and it points to a greater issue. We'll have that after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooper Ryder show. And you're back with the Andrew Cooper Ryder show. Before the break, I was telling you the story about what's going on at the Raceland Worthington Independent School District there in the high school with one of their teachers, Robbie Logan, uh, being accused of grooming girls. And then after they graduate, instigating a sexual contact with them and the parents, this parent supposedly it happened across several several students and the parents up in arms about this. We kind of laid out the allegations and now we're talking uh, about how the school board has responded to this. So you've got these allegations, right? But then you have their superintendent, Larry Coldiron, and his handling of the situation, which has been awful and seems to be somehow some corruption or a cover up here at play. I mean, when you're in a position where you're serving the public, you're an elected board member, you're a government bureaucrat, government agency, your first and foremost concern, when you're at, especially when you're at the head of it, is public trust. The minute the public no longer trusts you, even when you're doing the right thing, it won't be enough. We saw this with COVID. We saw this with other things, of course, the, the media complex, the, the public health complex now, uh, and so on and so forth, where these so-called experts just don't seem as expert anymore because of how they handled situations eroding the public trust. Well, 
you have to keep that in mind. And it would appear that the uh, superintendent here, Larry Coldiron, and the board have forgotten or just don't care about what the public and the parents of the community, parents of kids at the school, what they think about them and whether or not they trust them. All transparency and appearance of actually caring have seriously gone out the window. It would appear that one point Robbie Logan was being investigated for KSP for his actions. So you, you, we've talked about the allegations. Well, KSP is getting investigated over him. And then even during the investigation where uh, the investigation over his sexual misconduct with students and, and sexual grooming, during that investigation, he wasn't removed. He wasn't suspended. He wasn't even suspended with pay. He was left to continue to teach and carry on. You have a guy being investigated by the Kentucky State Police for alarming issues and you leave him put? That doesn't make a lot of sense. That's not how normally government handles itself. Normally they issue uh, uh, a suspension with pay if they don't think they're necessarily guilty, but that way so they can appear above board in order to clear the name and keep the public trust, but that's not what they've done here. So the question becomes, why, why is this going on? Why is this, why is he being left in place? Well, it, it would also appear that maybe Larry Coldiron knew a little bit more than he was letting on because the guidance counselor at these schools, the same person that many of these ladies would have first spoken to about the problem is actually Larry Coldiron's wife. So it leaves one to wonder just how much did Coldiron already know and that he was covering it up for some reason. You see, the Education Professional uh, Ethics Board there, state board, um, and of course, state law requires when a superintendent receives a report of this kind of behavior, he's supposed to report it uh, to the, the board of educational uh, professional board and also to um, local law enforcement within 30 days. But yet he made no such reports. Cold Iron didn't report this to anybody. And in fact, when uh, the porters came to him to demand why they why he hadn't reported it and said that they would go ahead and get law enforcement involved. The porters say that Larry Coldiron told them that their daughter would not be able to handle the ridicule and backlash if law enforcement got involved. But the reports were made and KSP did investigate. But while they found no crime in the investigation, we had to ask ourselves what kind of crime was actually exactly being committed here, because even if the things said about Robbie Logan are true, it's unethical, it's gross, it's disgusting, it makes him a horrible person, it may go against school policy as well. He's having contact with these minors outside of school hours about non-school things, but after they turn 18 and graduate, well, they're adults. It's not exactly a crime. Sure, the grooming and, and pushing them towards that started when they were 15 years old and he was in a position of trust, but that's still not exactly a crime. There's no grooming law currently on the books here in Kentucky. Maybe something that should change. The school board at one point apparently hired a private investigator even to look into it. Well, that's a good move, except it turned out the private investigator uh it turns out that private investigator has familial relations to Larry Coldiron. Now, why is Coldiron trying so hard to sweep this under the rug? Why is he trying to cover it up? I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, it could perhaps be that there have been many other teachers and coaches there accused of sexual misconduct with students at the school recently. And some of those accused could even be a family members of Superintendent Coldiron. Perhaps he doesn't want people taking too hard of a look because his own kin, his wife, and himself might even end up getting implicated in a massive child grooming problem that's going on at the Raceland Worthington School District. And they have known about it and have done nothing about it but enable it to happen. That's a real possibility about what's going on here. So no crime being committed, but girls are still possibly falling victim to a man put in a place of authority who is grooming them for sexual contact the minute they turn 18. What can they do to stop it? Well, the parents took to the school boards to demand a policy update to the school's handbooks that teachers and their communication with students be met with a new rigorous standard to ensure this kind of behavior didn't happen, that'd be stopped. And to ask, how has this happened? And how have you not responded? If this has been going on for years, which it appears it has been with multiple teachers, multiple students, then why haven't you done anything about it? Well, when they showed up to those school board meetings and parents demanding that change, do you think the school board responded saying, absolutely, we'll take care of it. This needs to be addressed. Cold iron needs to be fired for not taking this as seriously as he should have. No. Of course not. They actually responded in an illegal manner. No, I'm not, I'm not kidding. They literally broke state law to try and shut these parents up for demanding that something be done to protect their kids. That's the kind of culture we have. Parents getting illegally pushed out of school meetings here in Kentucky because they're demanding that their kids be protected from possible predators at the school. You see, during COVID, school boards took to trying to keep parents quiet about issues going on at their schools here in Kentucky. Issues with masking, COVID policies, issues with what the teachers were actually teaching kids as parents paid more attention during the NTI. And tired of the scrutiny and wanting parents to just go away, many boards decided to cut public comment time completely from the agenda. So our state legislature responded by passing a law that every school board meeting must have at least 15 minutes of public comment time. A law that Raceland Worthington School Board hasn't seemed to find itself able to follow. The first time the issue reared up at the school board meeting, they cut public comment time illegally short, saying that's enough, we don't want to hear it anymore. The second time, they tried to claim that public comment could only be about items that were on the agenda before them. No such requirement about public comment time for only things on the agenda exists in the law that was passed. So Raceland Worthington School Board violated that. In fact, Raceland Worthington School Board had parents removed by the police at the meetings. Had police shutting them down. They did more to remove parents demanding something be done regarding their children being the victims of possible sexual predators and groomers than they have to remove the actual sexual groomers. The board and cold iron were quicker to get police involved to pull the parents out of there when they were expressing their right to speech, expressing their right to petition their government for redress, something guaranteed to us in our First Amendment of our Constitution. They cared more about shutting them up and got law enforcement involved quicker for that 
than they got involved for dealing with the actual sexual groomers. So what's happening now at the school? Well, as more allegations have come out, KSP has reopened its original investigation and will continue to dig into the issue of what's happening at Raceland Worthington. You've got multiple teachers involved with grooming, school boards not following the law, superintendents hiring family members as independent investigators. And I ask you, where's the mainstream media on this? At the top, I mentioned how the sexual abuse problem in public schools is worse than that of the Catholic Church, yet you hardly hear anything about it. Well, here's a perfect example. For some reason, the monolith mainstream media has decided that this story here just isn't worth covering. For many of you, as I speak about this problem that's been going on for months, it will have been the first time you've ever even heard about it. But a possible multiple teacher sexual grooming ring of kids right here in Kentucky at a public school? Wouldn't that be a massive story for local news coverage? LEX 18, WKYT, WHAS, the Herald Leader, Courier Journal, others? You would expect them to cover it, but no, in fact, they have it. Not a single publication I can find that is even bothering to report on what's going on. The local paper there in Greenup County, they picked it up and they talk about it. But until we start exposing this problem, and hitting it head on, we're never going to fix it. Maybe it's the fear of, of teachers. Maybe it's the lack of interest in what's happening with kids. Maybe these reporters are just too dang busy right now writing opinion pieces about how much they hate Republicans following around that governor's election. But it's up to us to demand answers. You shouldn't be hearing about this first time from a conservative talk show host that does an hour-long show five days a week. This should have been front-page news at some point, but it hasn't been. Face the problems head-on, demand answers. That's the only way this sexual abuse problem happening in school districts all across the country can be put to a stop, at least here in this state. Stop sweeping things under the rug and show them head-on, public disgrace, public shaming for those who want to engage in this kind of behavior once, of course, you know, allegations, make sure you line out if their allegations are allegations. But teachers being investigated for these kinds of things, still teaching? That's not the proper response. That's not the proper response. Well, y'all, coming up after this, um, I'll be talking about the uh, early votings going on starting here in Kentucky tomorrow. I'll go over some constitutional concerns about that and how it just goes to point to our legislature not really caring about our state constitution and what that means for the rest of us. I'll have more after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Well, Kentuckians, tomorrow is the first day of early in-person, no-excuse absentee voting. What a mouthful that term is. Why is that term so long? Why isn't it just voting? Why is it called early in-person, no-excuse, absentee voting? Hmm. And while I will encourage you to go out and cast your vote however you can, I would be remiss if I didn't take this as an opportunity to talk about why the three days of early in-person voting isn't just called early voting, but rather it legally must be called early in-person, no-excuse, absentee voting. A long name, a mouthful. But it's called that because our legislature, our state political leaders, have decided long ago that their respect for the state constitution is minimal. 
for early in-person, no excuse, absentee voting shouldn't be allowed without a constitutional change. Now, I'm not saying that I hate early voting, and I'm not saying that you should not vote during it. If you want to vote during it, take advantage of it. I'm not even saying it's, it's not nice or convenient. You can like early voting personally and take advantage of it while at the same time recognizing a simple, straightforward fact that our state legislature, under prodding from our Republican Secretary of State, decided to play cute with the Kentucky Constitution. Let me read to you an excerpt from Section 148 of our state constitution. All regular elections of state, county, city, town, urban county, or district officers shall be held on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. All elections by the people shall be between the hours of 6 o'clock a.m. and 7 o'clock p.m., but the General Assembly may change said hours, and all officers of any election shall be residents and voters in the precinct in which they act. All regular elections shall be held first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. In other words, election day is supposed to be one day. That's like early voting. It's called early no excuse absentee voting because it had to fall under that kind of word salad because your vote, while you're voting early, it's not really cast to election day. They had to create that word salad to get around that little pesky state constitution. Now, the process between early no-excuse absentee voting and voting isn't really that much different. Uh, you just do them on the same ballots and, and, and counting machines that they have up on election day, and they just throw them all in the same pile, and they're all counted there on election day. So there's nothing different about the process. It's just a name that had to be made up. Now, I don't know about you, but I have more respect for our state constitution than that. I respect it enough that I'm not going to try and find any kind of constitutional loophole I can to weasel my way of doing what is hard simply because I want to. I mean, there is a way that they could change Section 148 of our state constitution and get early voting done the right way, the constitutional way. But that's really, really hard and more of a process than just backroom deals and passing a simple bill on the floor. So instead, let's just invent a term so I can ignore the Constitution. The legislature can pass an amendment. The way you do that is you pass it, and then it goes out on the next November ballot, and voters uh, have to vote then to approve the constitutional amendment. But apparently that's just too hard for our legislators. They said, forget respecting the Constitution enough, which is, we're not going to change it. Instead, we're just going to come up with a term to get around it. Now, I get it. This seems small. And once again, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily against having four days to vote. But it's about respect for our state constitution. Enough respect that if I believe in doing these things, I want to do them the right way. And this culture, a disrespect for our constitution by the state legislature, isn't just about voting either. But early in person, no excuse absentee voting is just a recent example of the kind of contempt that our legislature has for the Constitution. There's a significantly more harmful ways that playing cute with finding loopholes in our Constitution and the culture of disrespect for it has damaged Kentucky and its citizens. You know, according to the usdebtclock.org, according to usdebtclock.org, Kentucky is currently in debt to the tune of 
$56 billion, almost double what our entire state budget is. Not only is this massive, massive number concerning, it leads to a question of how is this even possible after section 171 of our state constitution reads, the general assembly shall provide by law an annual tax, which with other resources shall be sufficient to defray the estimated expense of the Commonwealth for each fiscal year. In other words, our budget must be balanced. The state cannot spend more than it estimates it will take in in revenues. So how did that $56 billion in debt occur in the first place? Well, simply put that that debt mainly takes the form of unfunded pension liabilities. You see, pension liabilities are not considered a part of the estimated expense of the Commonwealth. How convenient. Therefore, if the state can just not pay that it's required or needed pension liabilities, it can just decide not to pay them. And now they have some extra funding for some better and more shiny objects and projects that come along. Something that happened often in the Steve Bashir governor days with the Democrat legislature where the pensions were not properly funded, awfully funded, and instead the money went to boondoggle projects and programs rather than paying the pension liabilities. So while the spirit of Section 171, as passed originally in 1915, was such that the state wasn't really supposed to go into debt, well, that spirit and that respect for the meaning of it has long since been left behind for our legislature, and now we find ourselves $56 billion in debt and a pension system that has been so underfunded that its possible collapse was featured in a PBS documentary just a few years ago, a national PBS documentary just a few years ago. That's why I take such offense to this inventing of terms and loopholing of the state constitution by our legislature. Not just because I hold the following process and condition, or I, I, I hold that following that constitutional process and following the constitution in high regard. But because I, I also think this type of process is exactly why Kentucky citizens are now 12K each in debt that the state has gotten us into. If you don't like what the Constitution says, well, then change it. Sure, it's a process, but there's a reason why it is. It's there to protect citizens from our government. Laws created by our government are to regulate us. And the, and the Constitution is there for regulating the government. Understand this. Now, a lot of people get mistaken on this. Legislature doesn't have to follow the law. When they're making new laws, they don't have to follow old laws. It really doesn't matter what they passed in the past. When they pass the new law, they can just rewrite their old law. There is but one document that controls the legislature. There is but one document that is supposed to keep the legislature in check, and that is our state constitution. But instead of our legislature having that kind of reverence, instead, we have a government that's trying to figure out any way it can to ignore the spirit and the meaning of the Constitution, and it leads to disaster for us citizens. So go out. Early vote if you want to. Take no shame in it. I get it. Like I said, it's convenient. And I'm not saying it's an awful thing. I'm not even saying I want to be for a constitutional amendment to change it. I think we should have some debate about it, but <laughs> I'm not saying I necessarily be against it. But just remember, in its current form, without a constitutional change, 
early, no excuse, absentee voting is a sham. And it's ignoring the spirit of our Kentucky state constitution. Well, coming up, guys, uh, I'll be going over the Biden DOJ is nearing a consent decree with the Louisville Metro Police Department. We'll go over what that means and what they've dug into after this short break. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. We'll see you guys back here in just a few minutes. After the Breonna Taylor incident, Governor Bashir and others asked for the DOJ, the Federal Department of Justice, to investigate the Louisville Metro Police Department for possible misconduct. The DOJ began investigating the Louisville Metro Police Department in 2021. So understand, this has always been under the Biden's DOJ. And the DOJ's investigation of the police force has, has taken about two years. It started, like I said, in, in 2021, and it's come back this year with the following findings. This is what the investigation has said that the Louisville Metro Police Department is guilty of doing. Using excessive force, including unjustified neck restraints and unreasonable use of police dogs and tasers. Conducting searches based on invalid warrants. Unlawfully executing search warrants without knock, knocking and announcing. Unlawful stops, searches, uh, de detaining people, arresting people during street enforcement activities, including traffic and pedestrian stops. Unlawfully discriminating against black people in the enforcement activities, violating the rights of people engaged in protected speech, critical policing, and Louisville Metro and uh, Louisville Metro Police Department discriminating against people with behavioral health disabilities when responding to them while they're in crisis. Now, I'm not going to pretend that anything our police officers do is fine. There are some nuance here that I think we should have an honest discussion about. Conducting searches on invalid warrants, unlawfully executing searches, unlawful stops and searches, unlawfully detaining people, those are big issues. And what they really point to isn't necessarily a problem with the average police officer on the ground, the, the street cop, the beat cop. What it points to is more of a process and administration problem within the force itself. Proper training on what's lawful and not, instead of just playing the telephone game, certainly could be very useful to help stop these things. Having occasional continuing education with lawyers coming in to talk to them about what's right and wrong. But once again, I value and hold in high regard our Constitution both state and federal, and I believe the rights guaranteed in them are sacred and must be guarded. So while I'm not going to say that everything they found I have a problem with, because that's just inaccurate, I do think we need to be following the Constitution when it comes to our property rights and our ability to be free, but I still back the blue. And backing the blue doesn't mean we give a blank check to the police to conduct themselves however they see fit with no regard for people's rights, what it means to me is that we recognize the job of policing is hard. That police are oftentimes unfairly attacked for how they handle themselves in difficult and out of control situations. Now, where the Biden administration in their findings just goes off into the crazies is with a few of their findings, specifically their points about unlawful discrimination against black people and discriminating against people with mental disabilities when responding to them. 
The Biden DOJ came to this conclusion on Louisville cops being racist because, well, Louisville police officers are having more interactions and arrests with black people than they are white people by per proportionality uh, when considering their population. But not in proportionality to the calls that come in, just proportionality to population. I mean, it's not as if the Louisville cops are sitting there and they're getting a 911 call and they're asking, well, is the person doing this to you white? Well, we're not interested in responding. Then we don't arrest white people. That's not what's going on. And it's also not as if uh, the police are sitting here looking at a map of communities saying, well, that area is white, so we don't send cruisers there. And well, that area is black, so we're going to go ahead and send cruisers there. It's simple. They are just responding to calls that are called in, and they have more officers in an area with more higher crime rates, period. What does the Biden administration want them to do? Police show up to a call and see the perpetrators black and then turn around and say, never mind. We hit our racial quota for the day. So you better not try to stab that person tomorrow early in the morning before we've arrested too many people of one skin color or we'll be back to get you. You know, yesterday I talked about how the liberals in this world have an odd view of what's racist and what isn't to them responding to every call the same way and arresting people for committing crimes regardless of their skin color is racist. And you know what's the most awful thing about their messed up ideology? Is that it hurts those that they're pretending they care so much about. Statistically, most crimes committed by people of one color are committed against someone of the same skin color. So whites commit crime against white people, black people against black people, Asians against Asian, so on and so forth. So by not treating all perpetrators the same way, regardless, by putting instead this kind of two-tiered justice system where people get treated differently based upon their skin color, you're actually hurting the people who are their victims who statistically most often would be the people of the same race. So by trying to make law enforcement all about someone's race, you've actually hurt the good abstaining citizens of that same race. I don't know about you, but I think all victims of crime deserve justice regardless of their race, regardless of their skin color. But in the world of liberals and, and these far left crazies, the logical conclusion of their beliefs means that minority victims of crimes don't deserve the same justice as the rest of us. Everyone deserves a safe neighborhood regardless of race, and police should deliver that regardless of race. But when it comes to the Biden DOJ in Louisville, well, that basic non-racist idea, just it just doesn't fly for them. To the Biden's DOJ, other point about, well, these the responding to people with mental health issues wrongly. I mean, police officers have one job, enforce the law, arrest those that break it. They are not therapists. They're not mental health experts. They're, they're there to arrest people that break the law, period. Let me give you an example of an altercation that the Biden DOJ cited as an improper response by Louisville police officers. This happened on April 29th, 2020. Happened at about midnight, 23, 34 hours, according to the incident report. The officer responded to a troubled uh, uh, person running near the intersection of Moonlight Way and Sedola Drive, where a disorderly, intoxicated, intox, intoxicated, sorry guys, female was running through the neighborhood. When he arrived on scene, a hyster, 
struggling here, guys. Hysterical female began fighting with another female, then decided to start fighting a male. The officer separated them and held her down with his foot by placing it on her shoulder. She complied with a smile on her face and then proceeded to bite his ankle, causing a great deal of pain. With his stinger flashlight in hand, he struck her with four forward strikes to the left side of her jaw and left shoulder area to make her stop. She was handcuffed and arrested and placed in the back seat of the officer's patrol car. EMS evaluated her and she was transported to UofL prior to booking because of her intoxication level and excited state. The officer suffered an injury to his right forefinger, right thumb, and a separate injury to his left ankle where he was bitten. The female was transported by EMS to UofL due to her intoxicated level. She had to be sedated by the staff. The subject had no visible injuries and did not complain of pain or injury. So let me sum this up. Officer arrives on scene to a drunk woman just running through a neighborhood. The woman then starts fighting and attacking another woman and man. The officer then puts the crazy drunk hysterical woman on the ground and then uses his foot to make her stay down and subdued. Now, for those of you who want to say, well, he was holding her down with his foot. What a bad guy. This officer was alone at this time. He had to remain aware of his surroundings as he tries to question and figure out what's going on. If he got on the ground to restrain her then and there with his hands, he'd be putting himself at greater risk for potential attack as he wouldn't be aware of his surroundings and wouldn't be able to figure out what the heck is going on. What the heck is going on? So he is restraining her with his foot and then she proceeds to bite him. So he clearly wasn't putting much pressure on her. If he was able to, uh, uh, if she was able to reach his foot and bite him while he had uh, his ankle and bite him while he had his foot on her shoulder, he couldn't have been applying that much pressure. She wouldn't have been able to reach. And keep in mind that HIV and other diseases are transmitted through bites, and bites can be very dangerous when it comes to infections and diseases. So put yourself in the officer's shoes. You got a drunk woman on the ground. You're trying to check your surroundings before arresting the woman. And the woman bites your ankle hard enough, keep in mind, to leave a mark. It's dark. It's midnight when he's responding. So he's got his flashlight out already. What's he going to do? Politely ask the hysterical drunk woman who's been running through the streets and biting people to please stop biting me. And then if she doesn't, say what? Them's the brakes, kids? Guess I just got to drag this woman along like a toddler attached to my leg. Now you're going to strike her until she stops biting you. He apparently actually didn't even hit her that hard as the report says she wasn't bruised or had a broken jaw. He showed more restraint than I would have. If some woman was biting my ankles, what does the Biden DOJ want these officers to do? Bring a therapy couch with them? And then try to get this woman who's running through the streets, attacking people, biting ankles to just sit on the couch and talk about her feelings. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Out of control federal government. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Kubrider show. I thank y'all so, so much for joining me. We'll be back here tomorrow. Um, you guys have a great rest of your day. Remember, make a plan to vote. Get out and vote. It's coming up. All right.